the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Grace Bible Church in Hayward, this is Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand. Greetings in Christ and welcome to our program. As we close out the week, we do so back here in the book of Acts. We find ourselves once again looking at chapter 21, verses 16 through 36. Now, our message is called In Honor of the Gospel. It is the account of the Apostle Paul returning to Jerusalem for the sake of the gospel. Now, the application for you and I is really quite clear. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter what the circumstances may be, the gospel should always be preeminent in our lives and its desire to see others come to a saving knowledge of faith in Christ. Join us for today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan. You must know that, that your relationship to the law has to be from the standpoint of satisfaction, from the standpoint of completion, from the standpoint of fulfillment. Not from the standpoint of a mandate of a moral uh, accomplishment on your part in order to please God. Got to be careful. And this is a subtle dynamic. In fact, right now in this verse, here's what you can think about. Are you ready? You can think about Paul's letter to the Galatians and how he had to labor to work through theologically a complete system of doctrinal truth, clarifying that it is not possible for you to have an equal allegiance to grace and law at the same time. Are you guys with me? And that grace is not canceled out by a mandate of the law. Are you hearing me? Right. It's very important. Ye who are justified by the works of the law have fallen from grace. Isn't that what he said? Right. So you, you, you have to be able to take that statement seriously relative to its import. They are informed of thee that you teach all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to do what? Forsake Moses. Do you see that? That's what they're informed of. Now notice the emphasis that James is laying on this. James is saying, Paul, this is what they know about you or believe about you or have heard about you. Your gospel is designed specifically to simply make derogatory the law of Moses. Your gospel is designed specifically to serve as a continual, relentless antagonism to God's law. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what that is, is a distortion of the facts. Now, you need to know that when facts are distorted, that distorted facts are facts nonetheless, but the error is in the distortion, right? So we're not going to throw the baby out with the water, uh, bathwater, but we are going to address the what? Distortion. Because it's after distortion that the enemy creates conflict in relationships with people. So uh, it says here, and you teach among the Gentiles, uh, the Jews to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to what? 
circumcise their children, neither to do what? Walk after the customs. All right. Um, point number one, the naive believing elders. Here's why I say that. Because James is the one saying to Paul all this. James is a pillar in the church. That's Galatians 2.9. You guys know that, right? That's why I have it in your outline. A pillar. James is a pillar in the church. Now, so get this with me because I'm learning something about James. I already knew it, but I'm, we're learning something together about James that you and I need to know. I may insert this here in a moment about the different qualities of prophecy we talked about a week ago. What I learned about James is that James has an allegiance to his Jerusalem brethren, his Jewish brethren, who are his constituency, his colleagues, and his flock, if you will. He has an allegiance to them at a level that mars his ability to see the apples and oranges that underlie their belief system. Am I making some sense? His allegiance to the brethren, who he says all believe, is obscured by a lack of clarity on the definitive nature of the gospel, for which if they had a proper understanding of the gospel, their zeal for the law would be a diminished attribute. It would be such an insignificant attribute that it didn't even need to be said. Don't we love God's law? Don't we strive to keep God's law? But we never use that as sort of a moniker or a badge to describe our faith in Christ. I'm a believer in Jesus. Oh, and I love his law. Apples and oranges. You have now just mitigated the glory of the gospel. Am I making some sense? Raise your hand if you understand what I'm saying. You have just now mitigated the glory of the gospel. You have just now told me you don't get the gospel. Because what you're doing now is trying to hold up two kings. Moses and Jesus. You're trying to hold up two kings. One who is certifiably alive. The other who is totally dead. Am I making some sense? You're trying to hold up law and grace. You're trying to hold up Moses and Christ. You're essentially trying to do what Peter essayed on the mount when he saw Moses and Elijah with Christ. Let us build three tabernacles. And before he can get all that old folly out of his mouth, God said, hey, 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 hey. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And when the clouds cleared up, there was no one there but Jesus. You guys got that? The father said, no, not Moses. No, not Elijah. Christ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the exercise that I'm sharing with you on is how you detect when a person is still walking in the pride of self-righteousness and using that as a measure to determine their relationship with you versus the grace of God in Christ. If the weight of your confidence, which I'm describing as faith, is leaning on the person and work of Jesus Christ for your righteousness, for your personhood, for your identity, for all the resources by which you stand. If your weight is leaning on Jesus and their weight is leaning on law, you're going to butt heads. Did you hear what I just stated? If your weight is leaning on Jesus and their weight is leaning on law, you're going to butt heads. If you guys are not both trusting in Christ, you're going to butt heads, even if you call yourself Christians. That's what you're about to see. So I say that James is a pillar because I'm calling attention to it. That's Acts 15, 13. He was the one that stood up and straightened things out. Galatians 2, 9 literally says him and Peter were pillars. 
Galatians 2, 9, pull that up. I just want them to see it. I, and I want to just call your attention to a, a fundamental point about uh, eldership um, versus apostolic calling. And when James and Cephas and John, who seem to be what? This is Paul talking in commentary as he's writing to the Galatians. It appears to be that in Jerusalem, James, Peter, and John were the heads of the Jerusalem church. We know that's true, don't we? It appears that they're heads. He says, uh, perceive, they perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave me and Barnabas the what? Right hand of fellowship. That we should go unto the what? And they unto the what? Right, that was a great concession. That was an act of maturity. That was right. That division there took place in Acts 15. Now we're in Acts 21 where we have come back together again. And guess what? That concession for, uh, for Paul and, and Timothy and Titus to go to the Gentiles and Peter and James and John to go to the Jews resulted in apples and oranges theologically. You got it? Right. So in your outline, the naive believing elder, James being one, though he's a pillar. And I'll call your attention to a pillar because a pillar is a column. It's a support beam. It's the, it's the thing upon which something stands. And apostolic doctrine is the thing upon which something stands. James is a ruler in the church, but at this point, he's a fallible ruler. Is that right? He's a very fallible ruler, a very fallible ruler. And uh, this will be indicated in a moment. Subpoint B, rejoicing in the grace of God. That's what they did in verse 19 and 20. That's what they did in chapter 15, verse 3. That's what uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, 13, 6 says. So here's what I want to do. I want to redeem an element of who they are and what they did as they met before I move to my next point. Right. Be very suspicious of a person who does not rejoice in the work of grace. Be very suspicious of a religious person when you talk about how God has worked by his grace in the life of somebody and they go whole hum. Love rejoiceth in the truth. When the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, you're happy to hear about anyone that God has brought near in Jesus Christ. And as we mature in Christ, we are to rejoice with them that rejoice. It's an honor for me to rejoice with you when you tell me your son or daughter has come to know Christ. Your wife is truly converted now. That your loved one who was in darkness now is walking in light. Hallelujah. Am I making some sense? That's what you do. Another subject from hell has been brought into the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? Right. That's what we do if we are mature believers. But here we go. Subpoint B, what? The mixed identity of what? Moses in Christ. The mixed identity of Moses in Christ. I already quoted Galatians 5, uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Whosoever of you is justified by the works of the law, you have fallen from grace. But pull up John 9, 28. I want uh, our class to see this again. You guys remember the account of the blind man that Jesus healed in John chapter 9? And how I shared with you that what God had done was taken that blind man and drawn him into the drama of redemption by his sovereign mercy and grace. And that blind man was made to know the work of Christ before he knew the person of Christ. Do you guys remember that? Remember, I basically said there are times when God works in people's lives by the dynamic of his providence and by his grace to bring them near and to do things in their lives for which they are unable to not acknowledge that God did it, opening their eyes. 
revealing his glories to them, his truth, his doctrine, his teaching. You may even be a product of this very same mechanism where God by and by drew you from a place of heathen sinfulness into a knowledge of God's word. You begin to grow in God's word. You begin to learn God's truth. And the light of the law was something you rejoiced in. Am I making some sense? Because even the light of the law excels the darkness of the world system so that even cleaning you up in the flesh under the law is a good thing. Especially if you were raggedy as some of us were. And you know God is dealing with you. You know God is drawing you. You know God is hedging you in. And you begin to hear about Jesus as we are sure the blind man heard about Jesus because hearing is what goes before revelation. So the blind man was hearing about the gospel of the grace of God in Christ and hearing about the miracles of Christ and wanting this savior who had healed others to heal him. And look how good the savior was healed this man of his blindness in the exigencies of his circumstance and left that man to the process of what we are already learning. Honor is what? Controversial. Some of you guys are going to get that in a moment. Now, when Christ shows up in your life, he honors you. But you have to own the controversy of the gospel that comes with it. Did you guys get that? Right. Because this will prove whether or not you are honoring him back. Right. You're going to learn over the several weeks that we teach this whole concept of honor, that honor by nature is reciprocal. That no one receives honor who is not themselves also honorable. Honor is a reciprocating principle. Does that make sense? Right. So when you are aware that someone honors you, it is a natural default in you to honor them back. Even with the small thank you. Thank you is an honor expression. But how much more so when you actually can estimate the value of that which they bestowed upon you in honor. And when God saves you by his grace, he honors you. And the revelation of the weight of that honor being infinite in nature, but tangible and real should move in your life to create a response to God of continual unending honor. Y'all get what I'm saying? Right. Are you blind to grace? How powerful it was that the blind man had Jesus to heal him and immediately he's thrown into controversy. And at every point of controversy, he honors Christ. Does he? He honors Christ. I don't know what you're talking about. You know what our law says. If he were a sinner, he couldn't have done these things. All I know is once I was blind, now I can see. All I can do is tell you the truth. The man was good to me. Now, he may not be good to you, but he was good to me. Am I making some sense? All right. I don't even know his name, but that brother was good to me. Now, he had me to do some crazy stuff, humility before honor. That's just the nature of human. He had me to go down to the river with mud on my eyes all by myself. But you know what? It was worth it because I came back seeing Right. So that's the nature of the gospel. It demands the humility of faith before it rewards the honor of exaltation. And it does it in stages, which is what happened with him. Because he had to deal with his mama and daddy denying him. Then he had to deal with the rulers challenging him twice. And notice what was said in in, uh, John 9, 28. Then they did what? Reviled him. And they said, you are his what? 
they were right. So let me teach here for a moment, because this is one of the extractions that me and some of our camp received from uh, last week's conference in Atlanta, Georgia. The theme was around discipleship. And there were a lot of good things that I was able to draw away from it. Uh, discipleship is a misunderstood concept, but it's still a critical one. What these, what these rulers recognized was that this blind man was in the school of Christ, and he was. This blind man was a learner of Christ. Was he not? Now watch this. I want to show you what I mean by this. This is the difference between people who talk about knowing Jesus and people who really know him. This is how authoritative the sovereign power of God was on this blind man. That when Jesus met him, the first thing that Jesus did was impose imperatives on him. How many of you guys remember when I said that? The Lord didn't even reveal himself to him. Just say, hey, go to the water and wash. Not only people that obey Christ like that are disciples. Because a disciple is a follower of a master. That blind man was already predisposed to obey Jesus as if he were a disciple. When the rulers assessed all that he went through, they said, you got to be his disciple. Because a disciple, by nature, follows his master. He learns his master's philosophy He learns his master's ways. He follows his master's edicts. He does what his master says because he wants to be just like his master. Got it? Stay with me. That's a Christian. And anything else is not a Christian. Did you guys hear what I just stated? That's the real danger of this generation that we're in. The real danger of the generation that we're in is that we got a lot of people that want to sit and intellectually learn, but not walk as a disciple of Christ. Did you guys hear what I just stated? When the imperatives come from Jesus, they are imposed upon. Like somehow Christ doesn't have a right to tell you to get up off your lazy butt and do something. So the Christian walks in an autonomy that fundamentally denies the master lordship of Christ over their life. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? It is for this reason that the Pharisees said, you definitely are his disciple. Not only did he tell you what to do, you are defending him now for your very life. Don't you know that your mom and daddy have just denied you? We're getting ready to kick you out of the church. We have reviled you. And you still hold into this brother. That's exactly right. Because as the scripture says, the disciple cannot be greater than his master. If they reviled the master, and they did. If they scorned the master, and they did. If they cross-examined the master, and they did. If they rejected the master, and they did. The same thing has to happen to the disciple. They were actually affirming the heart motive of that brother. And notice what they say. But we are who? Out of their own mouth. There it is. Out of their own mouth. Is it out of their own mouth? So, so get this now. Out of their own mouth, they're saying that there is no way to conflate, to, to merge together, to homogenize the rulership of Moses and the rulership of Christ. You cannot conflate the two and have a 
a whole and consistent and coherent system. Moses must give way to Christ or Christ must give way to Moses. That's exactly the way it is. You guys got that? It is no way for them to coexist in the same place in your heart and you actually be sound. It's not possible. So even Moses says, there's one coming after me like me, him, you better hear. That's Deuteronomy 18, 15. You guys remember that. The great prophet that should come. In the book of Moses, Moses said Jesus was coming. And when he comes, I got to be given way to. This is exactly what Christ meant in John chapter 5 when he says, you have Moses' law, but you don't keep it. For had you kept Moses' law, you would have believed in me because Moses spoke about me. Remember that? My point is this. I'm just trying to help you understand how if a person has an allegiance to the external code of the law, which was given by Moses, he cannot have an allegiance to Jesus Christ because of the necessary consequence of Christ's person and work, which we're about to get into. So in your, um, in your outline, we are under uh, point number C, the mixed identity of Moses and Christ. And we see in John chapter 9, 28, an irre- irreconcilable conflict, don't we? Was there, was there a reconciling of the conflict between the blind man and the rulers? No. What happened? The rulers excommunicated the blind man. You guys got that? The rulers excommunicated the blind man, and rightly so. And rightly so. Ye who are under the law have fallen from grace. There's no way for a grace person to live in a law church. There's no way for a person who understands the implications of the gospel to bind himself to a legal system that is defunct in terms of its force and authority over you. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Are you guys following this? I want you to get this now. I want you to get this now. It's not possible for you to believe that the law remains vital, enforced, and able to condemn you as if it's your Lord and authority while you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as your righteousness and justification. Do you guys hear what I just said? It's not possible for you to believe that you can be saved by your works and saved by his grace at the same time. For what happens when the gospel comes in power and thoroughly begins to work to transform your mind is you necessarily see the fading away of the law covenant. It must fade away. It must wax old and die. Hebrews 8.13. Am I making some sense? You must see its covenant power weakening. It's influence over your mind and heart if you did grow up under a legalistic church having no more sway or power. You must see yourself drawing away from the legal system to the person of Christ as your strength, as your power, as your foundation in righteousness. This is how you know grace is working. How many of you guys in the house uh, grew up in a legalistic system like I did? There you go. A good 60%. So do you remember how grace moved you away from the clutches of law? 
how it's the only thing that could keep you from the condemning nature of the law system, which is designed to expose your sin and to condemn you and give you no remedy. You realize the sweetness of grace, didn't you? The sweetness of grace to an endemic sinner like you. And God can smile on you on the grounds of Christ's righteousness and let you run free in the kingdom of God as if you have never sinned before. Is that good or what? That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, the Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out. Well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us, or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768. Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541 is the zip code. We ask for $5 per CD, or again, as mentioned, simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the MP3 version, grace-bible.com. One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship, especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again. For directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.